My topic today is the word in conversation. The word in conversation. Now, when we say the word, we're talking about the word of God. We're talking about the Bible, which introduces our Savior to us. Now, I want you to turn with me to, to 1 Peter chapter 4 for just a moment. And I'm going to read a, a short paragraph uh, just to provide a little bit of context. And then I'm going to zero in on, um, on one verse in particular, which introduces our subject today and really shows us the definition of what we're talking about when we speak of, uh, of conversation. 1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> I'll give you a moment to get there. I heard a preacher say one time, there's nothing quite so precious as the sound of many Bibles being opened if it isn't for too long. <laughs> now, 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, uh, verse... Um, uh, let's, uh, let's begin. Where was I going to begin here? Um, verse 8. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, help us now as we take a look at a couple of things from this verse 11 here. Help me to be clear and helpful. And I pray that we would remember the things that you have said to us in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Generally speaking, people engage in conversation when pairs of people or even small groups of people take turns talking. Now, that's not original with me. That phrase, taking turns talking, can be found in many, many different places. But that's what conversation is. Now, there are times when people are talking, but they're not taking turns. Uh, preaching, for example, is a, is a species of talking. Uh, but we're not taking turns talking, at least most of the time. One person is talking, and a whole bunch of people are listening. So you and I here, let's be honest, are not having a conversation today. Now, you can participate. You can say amen if you want to. Uh, you can uh, uh, smile. You can squirm. You can do whatever you want to do to give some feedback. Uh, but as a general rule, uh, preaching is, a, is an authoritative monologue. And those of us here who are preachers uh, develop our skills at authoritative monologue, and we have a tendency uh, to use that even when we're speaking to one person in some informal circumstance. Somebody said one time, if the only tool you have is a hammer, you tend to treat every problem as a nail. 
And that's what we do as preachers sometimes. We have these skills as preachers, and we want to use those skills in every circumstance, but they're not always uh, appropriate. I love having conversations with people because they remind me that other people have value. They have something to contribute. And if we'll listen to them for a moment, they'll let us know whether or not we're reaching them, whether or not they're understanding what we're saying. And they might give us some feedback to help us know how we can further direct our conversation. We might even learn something from them. When I was a young man, after I got saved, I became very zealous about witnessing to other people and talking to them. And I developed a way of presenting the gospel that uh, was very effective. Uh, and, uh, and the person that I had learned it from was very effective in it. And I used it in every situation that I could find myself in. But there were times when it wasn't very effective and when I wasn't really getting the person's attention and they would try to say something and I was uh, thinking, well, now stop interrupting me because I have something important to say to you. Have you ever been, been in a situation like that? We felt like you were being unfaithful to the opportunity or even unfaithful to the Lord if you didn't give him the whole thing didn't give him the whole piece. I remember hearing a, hearing a story. It's a, probably not true, and it was mildly humorous, and I heard it, if I'm not mistaken, in this room uh, where a preacher boy had gone to a, a church in an old farming community, and he was going to preach the sermon that day. And so he, uh, he showed up, had his sermon all ready to go, and only one old farmer showed up that morning. And he thought, well, what do I do now? I've got this sermon ready, and I I don't want to waste it on just one guy. You know, I mean, that was his attitude. And uh, he thought, what should I do? Should I I preach? And so finally, after waiting as long as he could without uh, being completely embarrassed, he he looked at the farmer and he said, well, uh, brother, I guess it's just us. Uh, What should we do? He said, well, you got a sermon for us, don't you? And he said, well, yes, I do. He said, well, now look, I got some cows. And when I go out to feed my cows, sometimes they all come up. But if only one came up, I'd feed that cow. He said, well, all right then. And so he said, open your Bible. And he gave the text. And he preached his whole sermon. And when he was finished, uh, he closed in prayer. And then he walked back to the door, took his place so he could shake the man's hand as he went outside. (laughs) And the man came by and he said, yes, sir, young man. If only one cow came up, I'd feed that cow. But it wouldn't make him eat the whole load. (laughs) (laughs) Now you may identify with that. There are times when it's appropriate to give the whole thing and times when we ought to just remind ourselves of the circumstance that we're in and say things in an appropriate way and in an appropriate uh, length of time. Conversations are one of the building blocks of human relationships. It's how we build trust. We share our heart. We give the other person an opportunity to respond. They share their heart. And we have the opportunity to respond. When you think about it, one of the greatest changes in in human conversation came about with the invention of the telephone. And you can read books about the impact of the telephone on human conversation. In many ways, it's helped it, but in many ways, it hindered it because people don't have to give their full attention to the person that they're talking to while they're on the phone. 
They can be working on something else. They don't have to make facial contact. They don't read the expressions of the person. And sometimes they can just be a world away. It's helped in many, many ways, of course. It allows us to stay in communication with people that we can't actually physically be with. But now, it's not just the invention of the telephone that hangs on the wall or sits on the table like it was when some of us were young. It's now in our pockets. And we can take the phone call anywhere at any time, even in church. I know this from observation. (laughs) And people, (laughs) I tell you what, preachers, how does it feel to know that you're being fact-checked on every date and event that you use as an illustration in real time. So-and-so said, so-and-so, at such-and-such a time and such-and-such a place. And they're, no, no, it wasn't that year. It was the year before that. You understand what I'm saying to you? It can be distracting. It can be discouraging. It, it can be frightening. It can cause you to be hesitant. If thinking, well, you know, should I say this from my memory or should I leave it out entirely unless I've got it all in my notes? I don't want to make a mistake and I don't want to be accused of either plagiarism or misrepresentation. It's a difficult circumstance we find ourselves in. But the phone had been around for a good long while when something else took place on January the 1st, 1983. January the 1st, 1983, is the date that you will find if you try to research the date of the invention of the Internet. Because that was the day when small connections like you'd find in a business or a, a college were connected with a gateway which would connect you to all of them. So now on any device that you had, you could get into the whole world of of information that was online. And of course, we see what's happened since then. I don't have my phone in my pocket right now, but I have it with me here in this meeting. And one time I calculated that I have 32,000 times the computing power in my pocket that our first astronauts took with them to the moon. Just a few short years. 32,000 times the computing power. Now, how has that changed us? Well, you know how it's changed us. It's changed everything about our society. It has sped it up to a dizzying pace that makes it almost impossible to see what's passing by. We think, oh, I'm going to come back to that, and I'm going to study that, And and we never do because there's always so much more coming at us. And this business of conversation today, email is not really a conversation even though there's a give and take because there's this possibility of editing and timing and ignoring and, and all this that goes on. So conversation has changed. And I would recommend that you find opportunities whenever you can to engage in verbal conversations with people. Now, a lot of my illustrations about conversations take place on airplanes because you're kind of a captive audience. For some months now, I've been serving as a chaplain in a maximum security prison. 
Talk about a captive audience. <laughs> so if you find yourself in a situation where you're trying to have a conversation and you're not very good at it, well, then just keep at it and keep practicing and keep working at it. See, the difference between a stranger and an acquaintance is conversation. The difference between an acquaintance and a friend is conversation. The difference between a friend and a brother is conversation. You see what I'm saying? The more we engage in meaningful conversation, the more we can learn about other people, and the more they can learn about us, the closer we can become, the more influence we will have because we have more trust. And that's the value of people talking back and forth. So if you, learn, if you learn nothing else from what I'm saying today, and if you want to take something of value home with you, remember this whenever you think of conversation. People taking turns talking. That's it. I say something, then you say something. Then I say something, then you say something. And we listen to each other in such a way that what you say affects what I say, and what I say affects what you say. And if we keep moving forward, we can talk about things that are of interest to us. And if the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ is of interest to you, you're not going to have to give yourselves a terrible headache trying to figure out how to bring that into the conversation. Because if it's in you, it ought to flow out of you at some point. There's a story in this book about an, a man that I met, interestingly enough, on an airplane. He was a brilliant scientist, an eminent man. I had no idea who he was when I sat down beside him. But I saw all of his papers and his calculations and everything that he was working on, and I thought I have no right whatsoever to introduce myself and interrupt this man's work. And I just, Lord, if you want me to talk to him, give me an opportunity. Open a door. Well, I'd gotten an upgrade, and I was one of those rare occasions when I got to sit up front. And he was sitting up front, and he was working on all those things. And the lady came by and said, we're going to have a meal now. And so he began to clear his area out, and I cleared mine out. And as we were enjoying our meal together, uh, that's a great circumstance for conversation. Having a meal together is a wonderfully engaging circumstance in which to talk. And so I went into my little routine that I use when I'm trying to meet a stranger on an airplane and said, are you headed out or are you coming home? And he said, I'm going home, kind of. I kind of have a home away from home down here where I've been, but I'm going home. And uh, turns out he lived in Ithaca, New York, and he had been down in Puerto Rico working on a now decommissioned radio telescope in Arecibo where they listen to signals from the stars and they can measure the substance of interstellar space. And there is matter there. He discovered it. It's amazing. And I was just taking a free graduate course in astronomy from this man had so many questions for him. He, he was an incredible teacher. And we began to talk. And I listened to him for a long time. And after about an hour of instruction from him in answering my questions 
about binary stars and all these other things that I'd heard about and knew nothing about, we came to a place where there was time for a pause, and he, being a gentleman, looked at me and said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm sort of a teacher, but not a teacher like you. He said, well, what do you teach? And I said, well, I teach the Bible. I pastor a church. And he said, well, you seem like a a reasonable person. Would you be one of those pastors that holds to a young earth concept of creation? And I said, I would be. (laughs) Yes. And then he said again, you are such a reasonable person. How can you possibly hold that view? And I said, well, it's not a question of science. That's your department. It's a question of theology. That's my department. And so we began to talk back and forth. And I gave him the theological foundation. Asked him a question. Uh, Do you have any, any, any background in spiritual things? Oh, yes, yes. And I said, You're, you, you understand the concept of sin? And he said, yes, the nuns were adamant about that subject. And so we talked about that for a while, and I said, here's the theological problem. If you have a system of the development of God's creation that allows for the presence of sin or the presence of death apart from sin, then the whole system of Christianity begins to tumble because death is the consequence of sin, and sin produces eventual eternal death. Theology exists to bring us God's message of how we can be redeemed from the consequences of sin and avoid eternal death and be given eternal life. And he began to ask me some questions, and I began to answer him. And we continued to talk for quite a while. We finally came to a place in the conversation, and that story is in this book, by the way, where I, uh, I, I said... Uh, uh, are, you, are you at all curious about what was happening five seconds before the Big Bang? And he kind of smiled and he looked at me and said, well, that would be your department. <laughs> that was a wise statement on his part. It was a wise statement if I may say so humbly, because it is my department. And I respected his department, and now he was respecting mine. I later came to find out that he was the chairman of the Department of Astronomy at Cornell. Incredible, brilliant, gracious man. I never imagined that God would give me an opportunity to have a conversation with a man like him particularly him. You say, did he get saved? I don't know. You think he was already saved? I I don't know. Well, why didn't you ask him? It wasn't appropriate. I talked to him about the things that were appropriate, and I gave him some, some things to think about, and I left him with some ideas that he would need to ponder about, and I took that task as far as I could until we were finished with our flight. And we had to say goodbye. Now, 
There are a number of other stories in here about people that I've talked to over the years, and I wish I could say to you that every one of these people got saved, made the profession of faith, shook my hand, and promised me they'd go to church on Sunday. And I've seen that happen over the years, of course. But there are a lot of other people that I could have had conversations with and nudged them along in their spiritual journey that I did not do because I didn't think I could close the sale on the spot. You understand what I'm saying? And I, you know, like some of us here, I I know how to do that. And you know how to do that. But I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about going out and trying to fill up a list of the people that I've influenced. I'm trying to find people that I can talk to. Where I can help them come to know some things about God. And about Jesus Christ, the Savior. And the Bible, which tells the rest of the story. And if we can have conversations like that, we'll help far more people than we might imagine. In the text that we've read today, verse 11 says, If any man speak, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Now when he's talking about speaking today, and speaking as the oracles of God, and ministering, he's talking about the two primary functions that we find in the church today. We even have offices that specialize in these two things. We have people who have speaking gifts. I have a speaking gift. I'm using it right now. But serving is also a gift. So we have these gifts of the tongue, but then we also have the gifts of the hands, where some people do things with their hands. They serve. They minister. The two offices of of pastor or preacher and deacon or servant are embodiments of these two roles that we have here. So we're to do all those things according to the ability that God has given us and the gifts that he has placed in our hands. Now this word oracles appears three other times in the New Testament. In Acts 7, 38, Romans 3, verse 2, Hebrews 5 and 12. The oracles of God are speaking of the actual words of God. So if a man is going to speak for God, he would do well to use the actual words of of God. This is going to require you to know some scripture by heart. Now, if you will spend much time in the scripture, memorize some verses, use them regularly in conversation with other people, you'll find that the words are empowered by the Holy Spirit with clarity and meaning and the ability to reach the human heart. They are a key to presenting truth about God because they communicate the power of God unto salvation. Now, you need to be careful with some of these kinds of things. There was a great error that grew up around this phrase, the oracles of God. Some of you may have heard the name Ellen G. White. Ellen G. White was a very prolific writer who basically invented the Seventh-day Adventist church. And she was a very, a very accomplished writer. Uh, she had influence on another man uh, who was a well-known preacher of the early 20th century whose name was Herbert W. Armstrong. 
He was a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and he got all tangled up with his private interpretation of this phrase, the oracles of God. And he had the idea that the oracles of God was a phrase that was used to speak of certain specific things that had particular meaning to Mrs. White and particular meaning, therefore, to him. And so he took it a step further than the Seventh-day Adventists did, and he, and he developed a thing called the Worldwide Church of God. And it's got a different name now. It sounds much more evangelical. And basically, the tenet of that religion is that salvation is found in keeping the Sabbath. And that if, uh, if you will keep the Sabbath, and of course they, they promote meditation and devotion and all that sort of thing, but what they do is they take salvation by grace and they turn it into a human work. Because if you're saved by something that you do, then you're earning it. You're not receiving it as a gift. And salvation never comes to a person through his own effort. It comes by the grace of God on the basis of what Christ has accomplished for us. So if you want to study this further, and if you really want to get into this business of the oracles of God, I would give you a little warning to be careful to find out the source of what you're reading when you come to that phrase. And you'll find there's a lot of formulaic approach like, well, it's referring to these six things. No, the oracles of God is speaking of the words which God spoke. And it's very important for us to understand uh, how God's words have this impact on us. Uh, So as we go out and, and preach the gospel to every creature, we can remember in the book of Acts, there are a number of places where uh, uh, there's a man who says, send for Peter. And, and when he comes, he will tell thee words whereby thou shalt be saved. Words. So remember this. When we talk about conversation, <coughs> pardon me. When we talk about the words through which we communicate salvation, we're talking about God's words. When we speak of the word in conversation, we're talking about using God's words in our conversation. I personally believe that it's okay to quote scripture without quoting the reference. Sometimes people are afraid that, well, I don't know the reference, so I can't use that. Wrong. If you're quoting what God said, trust it to do its work. You say, I'm not 100% sure that I can quote it accurately. Well, just don't misquote it, okay? (laughs) Don't make it teach something that it doesn't teach. And sometimes, have you ever been in that embarrassing situation where somebody asks you a question and you say, well, there's a verse on that. I don't know where it is, but it goes like this. You know, make a note to yourself, okay? Find out where it is and find out what it says. So if you want to use it in conversation in the future, you'll get it right you'll be able to refer to it and give them a note about it and use that word in conversation in that way. Why? Because salvation comes through the word. Now, you might want to follow along with me. I'm going to take a look at a couple of verses here that I'll read to you. The first one's in Romans 15 and verse 4. 
For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. God has put in the Bible what he wants us to know to be able to function in life. And when we get discouraged and hopeless, God's answers are given to us right here. Let me say it this way. Picture this in your mind. Look up here. God has given us right here a big book filled with answers. And it remains but for the problems of life to furnish the questions. If you'll take that view of this book, it will change the way you approach it and the way you present it to other people. In 2 Timothy uh, verse 3 and following, he gives us here the value of what he means about the change that comes into our lives when we read the Word of God. You know this passage well. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and following. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, that from a child... Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now get this verse. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Those four benefits that come to us through the Word of God are real. They are knowable. They can be experienced by human beings. And if you and I will take confidence in that fact, we can present the Word of God to a person knowing it will have this effect on them. In other words, we don't have to produce these results. We just have to present This power. Show it to them. All scripture is breathed out by God. Given by inspiration. And it's profitable. It brings a benefit to man. And it's profitable in four ways. You may already know this. You may have taught this to your people. Pardon me for being very didactic for the next few minutes. But the Bible tells us what's right. It's profitable for doctrine. It's also profitable for reproof. So it not only, look up here, tells us what's right, it tells us what's wrong. And then it says it's profitable for correction. That tells us how to get right. And then it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. That's how to stay right. So if you want to influence someone in their spiritual life, you need to find a way to do four things for them. You need to tell them what's right, or first, what's wrong, and then what's right, and then how to get right, and then how to stay right. You can have wonderful, welcome conversations with people who are facing difficulties in life if you can give them something that will help them find the key to dealing with those four things. Now, let's do this again. The Bible tells us what's wrong. It tells us what's right. It tells us how to get right. And then it tells us how to stay right. All right, class, let's work on that together.
it tells us what's wrong. It tells us what's right. It tells us how to get right. And it tells us how to stay right. One more time. It tells us what's wrong. It tells us what's right. It tells us how to get right. And it tells us how to stay right. You would maybe be surprised at how many strangers there are in the world who are starving for that information. Their lives are in pain. They're in confusion. They don't know what to do. Somebody says, go to church. And they say, leave me alone. That's not my problem. What they really want to know is they want to know what's wrong and what's right and how to get right and how to stay right. Sometimes they can't even explain what their problem is. Sometimes I'll meet a person, I'll begin to talk to them, and they'll share with me what's going on, and I'll try to give them some solutions, and they'll think, that's not it. No, 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 that's not what I need. And it reminds me of my older daughter now, who's got grown children of her own. When she was five years old, we'd been eating some ice cream, and she got excited about the ice cream, and she was eating it too fast, and she gave herself a headache. (laughs) You ever been there? Daddy, my head hurts. And I said lovingly, yes, you're eating your ice cream too fast. She looked at me like I had two heads. My head hurts. I said, yes, I know, sweetheart. You're eating your ice cream too fast. I can't explain how that works. I don't know. Maybe, you know, something that does to your sinuses or something like that. I mean, if there's a doctor in here, you can give us some enlightenment on that. But I said, Debbie, you're eating your ice cream too fast. She looked at me. She took my face in her hands. And she pointed it directly towards her. And she said, Daddy, I have a pain. <laughs> and I thought, I know, I know, sweetheart. I can't explain it to you. But just, just be patient. It'll quit. It'll stop hurting in a minute. You know, and sometimes folks are like that. They have a pain. They don't know what to do about their pain. They're so frustrated. They're bewildered. They wish it would go away, but it won't. You understand what I'm saying to you? God's given us the answer. He tells us what's wrong. He tells us what's right. He tells us how to get right. And then he tells us how to stay right. How does he do that? He does that through the words that he has put in this book for us. That's how he does it. He brings us that truth and he gives us deliverance as a result of it. Now, in the same way that you and I can use the word in conversation to be a blessing to other people, there are some specialists who give the word to people professionally. We meet them in chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at the appearing of his kingdom, preach the word. Proclaim it. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. That's his job too, to tell people about the benefit of the word and to show it to them and make them clear. And just like the prophet of old, Read the word and give the sense. That's the best preaching you'll find right there. Read the word and give the sense. Tell them what it says. Tell them what it means. Tell them what they have to do about it. (laughs) That's what Bible preaching is all about. And if you and I will learn to have that kind of an approach in our conversation, we'll find that we'll help a lot of people in a lot of ways. 
Gospel conversation is not a substitute for the gospel. Now, let's be clear about that. It's a winsome way of presenting the gospel, listening for the opportune moment. You know that there are various words for time in the New Testament. Uh, There's the word uh, chronos. Chronos talks about time like you'd read on a watch, the passage, the passage of time. You know about the three elements of human communication, which would, which would include uh, logos, ethos, pathos, all these Greek words that talk to us about different elements of communication. Let me give you another one today. There's another word for time, and it's the word kairos. Kairos does not mean the passage of time. Kairos, I guess we could say, would refer to the opportune moment. When you're looking for an opportunity to have a gospel conversation, the Lord will give you a sensitivity to recognize the opportune moment. There's another story in here. I was on a plane with a fellow. We were coming from somewhere to somewhere. And, uh, and we were coming back into Charlotte, I think, from Philadelphia or something like this. And this guy, he was sound asleep when I showed up. And when I came in there, I thought, mm, well, he's resting well. I'm going to reclaim enough of my seat to be able to get in here and strap in so that I won't be in trouble with the lady when she comes by. And then I'm not going to wake him up. And I didn't. And he just snored away the whole flight. Clearly was exhausted. So we're coming into Charlotte, and all of a sudden she gets on the, on the uh, PA system, and she says, we're approaching now, and, you know, time to collect all of your things, and, and let's get ready. You know what they do. And so the guy starts to stir, and I start to stir, and I thought, I've only got a few minutes left. How am I going to talk to this guy? So I said, well, let's just get started. You coming home, or are you headed out? And he says, oh, I'm coming home. I said, you out on business? He said, no, I've been to my dad's funeral. And I said, oh, that's hard. That's a tough one. Were you close? Oh, not so much in recent years. You know, when you show some concern for a person and you sympathize with their pain, they usually appreciate that. Not so much in recent years. So we talked about his dad for a little while. And then he said to me, he left me something. And he, I'm not making this up, folks. This actually happened. He reaches inside his shirt. He's got this heavy gold or silver chain. And hanging on that heavy silver chain is a heavy hand-carved silver medallion. And he holds it up and he shows it to me. And I'm looking at it. And it's got three figures carved, one big, two small. The two small ones look like children dressed in some ancient garb, robes. And the tall one is wearing a robe. And he's holding this stick. We might call it a staff. And he's holding it up and wrapped around that staff is a snake. And he said to me, I think it's in the Bible. And I said to him, 
would you like to hear the story? (laughs) And yes, he would. And so I took him to John 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I took him to John 3.16, which is in that very paragraph. Gave him the gospel in just a couple of verses. Made contact with the man. Met a need in his life. Had a conversation with him that included the gospel of Jesus Christ. From a passage of scripture that he was wearing unknowingly around his neck. Now you know what we call that? We call that the opportune moment. We call that a God-given opportunity to bring Jesus into that conversation. (coughs) There's far more to that story. And there are other stories. One of the stories that we like to tell, and it's in this book, is the story of the man who led me to Christ. And how gentle and loving he was in presenting the word to me. I saw him recently. I was in a meeting in Michigan where he lives. I stayed with them one night on my way home. I gave him a copy of this book and told him about some of the things, the experiences that I wrote about that he and I had shared together when we were in the military. And this week I got a Christmas card from him. And there's a note in here. He says, I hope this card finds you too in very fine Christmas spirits and your family all healthy and well. He goes on together and says, I'm thankful that we had some time together and the reminder of what great blessings the Lord has been to us. It's hard to believe it was so many years ago that we met in Thailand and the opportunities we had to spend time together. I was always grateful that I was part of God's plan to bring you to Christ. I will always cherish the time we spent studying the Bible and having fellowship together. I read your book And I can remember the faces and places of many of the things that happened and the people that you've mentioned in the book. I remember very well the incident in which the car missed the curve on the bypass road going into the woods and killing the driver. I remember the times that we spent together at lunch talking about biblical truth. I was asking God to do something special when I went over there and to be a help and encouragement to me. And sure enough, he did things that would influence me for the rest of my life, he says. Hope this summer we can make some more time to do things and go places. It would be nice to see you and Carol and to have some time of fellowship and enjoyment together. I first met Gary 50 years ago when we sat down together and had a gospel conversation. He was the soul winner, and I was the lost man. And he led me to Christ. I'm looking forward to spending eternity with him. What a blessing it will be. As I was wrapping up this series of stories about people that I've engaged in gospel conversation. I was speaking with Stephen about the fact that 
And one of the things the Lord has done in my life is to give me a contentment to do what I can, while I can, with what I have, and the person who's before me. I must confess to you there have been times when I have failed to witness to anybody at all because I knew I would not have time to give them the whole thing and to bring them to a decision. So I've just prayed and moved on. I don't do that anymore. If I find just a little chink in the armor, I'll try to find a way to toss a gospel seed in there. And I think if you and I will see conversation that way, it'll make a difference. And Steve had reminded me of something. I think about some of these folks. I don't know who he spoke to and who he influenced through some of the conversations that we've had. But I talk about my friend Mike in here, whom I witnessed to from the time I got saved at the age of 25. Mike and I became friends when we were 14 in high school together. And when I got saved, I began to witness to Mike. And Mike rebuffed every effort until he died in his late 50s. I don't know whether Mike got saved or not. not. I know he heard the gospel. There were times when I was presenting it to him and he would shut me down. And then other times when he would hear me and listen. We brought him to Greenville and then stay in our home for a week when he was going through a particularly rough patch. When he got ready to leave, he packed his things up and got in his car. And I said, well, Mike, I hope you'll take to heart some of the things we talked about. I hope you had a good time. And he had seen our family and what it was like to be in a Christian family. And he began to weep. Mike had had a stutter all of his life, and it was hard for him to talk anyway. But after a few minutes, he composed himself, and he said to me, I was not prepared for the love. And I thought to myself, we gave a conversation of love to to my friend. I don't know if he got saved or not. Let me just read to you a paragraph or two here, and then I'm going to be done. I take great encouragement in the knowledge that Mike had heard a clear presentation of the gospel more than once. He listened to my apologetic appeals and felt the compassion of my attempts to love him to Christ. I do not know what he did with what he learned about the Lord over our years together and after I came to Christ. I cannot express the hope I take any better than George Mueller did when he spoke of his father and his brother. Some of you may have read that. Here's what he said. When my brother and my dear father died, I had no evidence that they were saved. But I dare not say that they are lost, for I do not know. My soul was perfectly at peace under this trial, which is one of the greatest a believer can experience. I laid hold of that promise. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? This word, together with the whole character of God, as he has revealed himself in his holy word, settled all questionings. I believe what he has said concerning himself, 
and have been at peace ever since concerning this matter. Sometimes we go as far as we can in conversation. And then we have to take refuge in the knowledge that the judge of all the earth will do right. We want to see them make a decision. We want to see them change. We want to introduce them to church. But don't let those things keep you from speaking up for Jesus. Wherever, whenever, however, to whomever you can. Say a word. I like to say it this way. When God hands you the microphone and turns the spotlight on your life, Say good things about Jesus. Have gospel conversations. Don't worry about the results. Don't worry about techniques. Don't become a tricky salesman. Just talk about the Lord. Tell everybody you can. And then give them a turn. (laughs) Let them talk. Father, thank you. Our time is gone. But Lord, our time is not gone. You've left us here, and we'll still be here, it seems, for a time. And I pray we would learn to redeem that time, use it wisely and well, and tell folks about salvation. Tell folks about our Savior. Live our lives in such a way that other people will see that there's something going on that they'd like to know more about. And I pray if there's somebody here who struggled with being a witness for Jesus Christ, they would learn how to give gospel conversations to other people and have them and see change in their lives. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.